This is the Marsh and Matt Show with Marshall Kellner and Matt Gallivan. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of the Marsh and Matt Show. Marshall Kellner and Matt Gallivan along with you. And a lot has uh, changed since we last uh, since we last recorded an episode of this uh, of this podcast. Uh, Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer both fired by the Minnesota Vikings, and uh, it's going to be a, a, a complete overhaul um, in the GM and the head coaching spots, and uh, really a complete over overhaul possibly of a, of a culture, uh, possibly a culture shift, uh, depending on who they, who they uh, try to hire here. And uh, then there could be a lot of roster turnover as well. It's going to be a fascinating offseason. Uh, we are recording this on a Friday, and we don't have any news yet uh, about, I would presume first we'll hear about the GM, but they have interviewed head coaches as well. Uh, they have apparently wrapped up the first round of GM interviews. And uh, I'll throw it, throw it to you, uh, Matt. What are your thoughts, not necessarily on every GM candidate, because that's, tough. I mean, we know much more about the head coaching candidates than the GM candidates, but what are your overall thoughts on kind of the direction you want to see the Vikings go for in the GM and the head coaching spots? Well, I will say what we do know from this afternoon is they've at least indicated two, whether those are the only two or it's just inclusive of those two final GM candidates. And that is the Browns uh, vice president of football operations, um, Kwesi Adofu Mensa, uh, and I hope I said that somewhat correctly, and Chiefs Executive uh, Director of Player Personnel, Ryan Poles. So uh, it is interesting. Uh, Brown's uh, guy is very analytics focused, has an interesting, I, I think, a background kind of almost in financial services. And uh, he's, he's totally, uh, you know, forward leaning uh data guy uh and that's his approach where ryan poles is much more of a fix the offensive line guy so two different strategies um but two younger guys as well i, I think they they need a new mentality um I, I for me they clearly need to hit the reset button in their drafting approach uh and sort of where, how, I think they need to get away from the Spielman, let's just get as many draft picks as possible and instead say, who are the guys we really want and need to hit on? Um, I think that's one thing I'd like to see from a GM strategy. Uh, from a coaching strategy, I I'm very concerned with the reports that have come out since. Now, let's add the caveat that it's always easy to throw someone under the bus and kick them while they're down. But it is interesting when you have guys like Thielen and Brian O'Neill and Eric Kendricks, longtime leaders of this team, criticizing the, the culture, the reports that Spielman and Zimmer weren't talking. It appears as if there were bigger cultural issues um, there than we previously understood. And so I think you do need someone who's a little bit less old, old school, a little bit more of a player's coach, treats these guys less as college football players and more like these are you know, professionals that you need to connect with um, as a coach. And I'm looking for a GM and coach that are on the same page because clearly Spielman and Zimmer were not on the same page. 
uh, certainly this year, but it seems like going back to Kirk. And how do you not touch on that where you need a GM and coach that are on the same page about how to handle the quarterback position and what they're doing there. Um, and so if the GM is high on Kirk, he needs a coach that should click with Kirk. And that's where I look to, and you know, potentially an offensive minded coach, someone who's worked with him previously. Um, you know, I think of the offensive coordinator from San Francisco, who was his quarterbacks coach, uh, McCarthy. He's, he's clearly different than, uh, in attitude than, uh, Zim was, uh, or a, a guy who is more of a, um, CEO players coach, uh, like, you know, Raheem Morris or D'Amico Ryans, both defensive coordinators. What about you? What are you kind of looking for in terms of style or which side of the ball or emphasis? Yeah. Yeah. You threw a lot out there. Um, I do, I do agree <laughs> a lot to react to. Um, I do agree with the need to connect to this current type of player, the new age player. Um, and, and I think that's important. Even if you have some old school, quote unquote, tendencies, it's important to, to connect uh, with that player, both on and off the field um, and really be uh, a coach and kind of like a dad to them in some ways as well, making sure, you know, everything's all right uh, in, in their, in their lives off the field too. Um, I, I totally agree with, the, and that and that piece came out in the Star Tribune by Ben Gessling uh, last weekend, and really good piece. It was it was a good piece, uh, but I'll say that I agree with you. It is easy to kick a guy when he's out the door, and a lot of that was focused on Zimmer, I think more so than Spielman. Um, there were interest, uh, interestingly listening to Paul Allen this week, he was able to dive a little deeper on some of those uh, things that were mentioned, such as Norv Turner. Uh, North North Turner when he quit um, a lot of people did not like how he quit not that he quit in the middle of the season just how he did it he did it on a Wednesday before a game and uh, a lot of people didn't like that Zimmer certainly didn't either and then you had the whole John DiFilippo situation John the reason Zimmer didn't like DiFilippo from the beginning and DiFilippo was more of a more of a uh, Spielman and Tony Sperano guy the late Tony Sperano, the former Vikings offensive line coach. And DiFilippo, of course, had helped Doug Peterson uh, beat the Vikings in the NFC title game and then ultimately beat Tom Brady and, and win the Super Bowl uh, for the Eagles. But uh, apparently, like, one of the first days that DiFilippo was in the, in the facility with the Vikings, he went through how his Eagles just took apart Zimmer's defense and poked holes, and, and, and the relationship just got off to a very frosty start. Those details were not in the in the gasoline piece, but I think it get, provides a little bit more context. Zimmer didn't just not like DiFilippo for a random reason. It got off to a rocky start, and then there was flat-out insubordination at times. Uh, you go to the New England game where they were averaging nine yards per carry with Dalvin Cook in the first half, and Belichick was in dime defense with six DBs and one linebacker because he knew at some point DiFilippo couldn't help but resort to the passing game. And they were double, they had the double double on Thielen and Diggs, if you remember in that game. And yep. Dalvin Cook got 13 carries in the entire game. And he was averaging nine yards a carry in the first half. Belichick just took the gamble that this guy, DiFilippo, he can't help himself. And they wanted to fire him after that game. 
but they didn't want to put Stefanski in a situation the next week to make his offensive coordinating debut in Seattle against the, the, uh, the Seattle Seahawks and Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson and the, the 12s and the loud crowd there on, on Monday night football. So he eventually got fired the following week. So that, that was in addition to some disagreement, I think about the quarterback situation and Kurt coming in in 2018, it didn't get off to a great start in part because the offensive coordinator didn't jive with Zimmer and he, you know, if a guy came in there and told me how bad my defense was on day one, and I think he did everything to piss off Zimmer aside from wearing his Super Bowl ring into the, into the meeting, Seagull's Super Bowl ring. I mean, then there might've been some, some uh, a physical altercation, but no, I mean, in all seriousness, that was a, a disastrous situation and not the way you wanted to start the Kirk Cousins tenure. I think Zimmer and Spielman were, they connected because of Spielman's scouting background. Zimmer's kind of old school. They, 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 they connected at first and you saw those first few years were really good and they made some great picks. I mean, I think of the 2015 draft, I think it was where you had Hendricks and Neil Hunter and Trey Waynes. And I mean, you had start Stefan Diggs was drafted in, in that year. And I think, and I've said this before, when you, they were, I, I think we both agree, they had to bring in Kirk in, in, in 2018 of the options. The options were an injured Sam Bradford. If he was healthy, they might've gone with it. Zimmer started to like him. He loved Teddy, but Teddy's knee was a big question mark. He hadn't played basically in two years. Um, and then you had Case Keenum, who Zimmer, you know, avoided making the starter for most of the year because he just thought he was kind of lightning in a bottle and waiting to explode at any time. And Case didn't really play well um, outside of the Minneapolis Miracle in the Saints game and really didn't play well in the Eagles game. And they, they didn't think that he could replicate that performance. Whether that's true or not, if they could have put the pieces around him, uh, with that added money that they would have had from not spending as much on the QB position, we'll, we'll never really know. But I understand why they got Kirk. But I also understand. I, I don't think it was Zimmer saying, I don't want Kirk specifically. He was saying, when you do put that much money in the quarterback position, it might take away from what we did to get to this point. And, and that's the big, the big, and Zimmer did suffer a lot of, bad luck during his time including almost losing his eye by the way. but the biggest bad which luck he, which he apparently made very clear to the team in his exit yeah, you know yeah. which is like come on like i'm stop not saying you need to say that to the team but but when you i mean what do we see now a lot of teams win super bowls with qbs on rookie deals could teddy have done it we don't know but we do know he was ascending and he lost him after year two of his rookie deal so he lost three years of Teddy on his rookie deal. Then they had to give up a first rounder for Sam Bradford on the eve of the season and eventually spend all that money on Kirk Cousins. My final point would be, and then I'll get to who I want, <laughs> what I'm looking for in the coach. Sorry, being long-winded here, but there's a lot to discuss. Uh, after eight years of, uh, of Mike Zimmer and largely a lot of good things that he did, uh, the organization's in a lot better spot now than when he arrived. But the Cousins thing, I think it was the right move, but the drafting hasn't been good enough since Kirk got here. And, and that's, that's a big problem. They, they, they've had some big hits, no question. Dalvin was the year before Kirk arrived, but had huge hits with Jefferson, with Brian O'Neill, 
with it, what looks to be a big hit with Christian Derrissaw. I mean, there, there's been some some big hits for sure, but not enough when you're paying a quarterback that money. And by the way, some other positions, some big money. Anthony Barr was making big money. Daniel Hunter's making big money still. Dalvin Cook, not huge money for a guy of his talents, but still pretty high for a running back. So the the bottom line is your drafting, your free agent signings have to be better then they have to be elite if you want to compete for a Super Bowl when you have a quarterback making that much money. It'll be very interesting to see if the new regime, Kirk made some comments going further than he's ever gone to say he wants to be a Minnesota Viking long-term. If that's the case and he lowers the cap hit, I'm not saying to the degree Brady has, you know, he, he, uh, I'm, I'm not asking him to do that, but you know, we'll see how much Kirk is willing to lower that cap number because that will play a big factor, whether he stays here or is possibly traded or if, and if he does stay, how much is it lowered? How, how much, how, how much money are, are they able to free up to go after other spots on the roster? Uh, I do like, you, you know, the Raheem Morris idea has kind of been growing on, me. uh, over the course of this week, uh, you know, you think of Raheem Morris and I think of his days with the Buccaneers, you know, it didn't end well there, but they were a disaster. They were spending like the lowest amount of money on their salary cap in the entire league, barely over the minimum. Um, and then you had, uh, and then, I mean, his second year there, I think they were 10 and six and Josh Freeman. Um, so it, it was not, they gutted their roster after that season, but Raheem Morris has worked on both sides of the ball. He's the defensive coordinator for the Rams now, but he also worked on the offensive side of the ball as the passing game coordinator for the Falcons. So he has experience and can kind of be that CEO if he were to be the head coach and bring in an elite offensive and defensive coordinator. And, and he could focus more on the, on the entire team. I also love the idea of Doug Peterson. I think Doug Peterson uh, won a Super Bowl with Nick Foles over anytime you beat Tom Brady in the Super Bowl with a backup quarterback, you deserve heavy consideration. And he's innovative. Um, he he was Brett Favre's backup quarterback. He's he's a quarterback himself, so he'd be good to either work with Kirk or develop a, another quarterback. But I like I like the idea of a head coach, somebody who's done it before, and is not just maybe a flash in the pan offensive coordinator, you know, flavor of the week. Um, some of those guys turn out to be good, like, like uh, you know, Sean McVay. Kyle Shanahan had much more experience than McVay before he became a head coach. But um, I think you, you want a leader of men, whether that's, whether that's and a guy who can connect with the current generation of player, whether that's an offensive guy who's going to call the plays or more of a CEO like Raheem Morris or even a defensive guy like a Brian Flores could be appealing uh, as well, or D'Amico Ryan you know apparently connects with players very well so i think you can go in any number of different directions but you do want uh, uh, the, the best leader possible and uh, worry about what side of the ball he's specializes on second yeah i i did uh, want to correct one thing i i did miss mix up it was kevin o'connell who was the off who's the oh, LA yeah. rams coordinator who was kirk's quarterback and mike mcdaniels the the san francisco offensive so i mixed them up but both, if you're going to go the young offensive coordinator route, they both have a lot of energy behind them. And I do think if you're going all in on Kirk, 
I would go with someone like a Kevin O'Connell, even with a maybe a, a, a mixed record as an offensive coordinator because of the connection there. Because, you know, if you're sticking with them, you should go with them. Yeah, I think another guy I forgot to mention who is intriguing and was one of the first guys, if not the first head coach they interviewed, uh, Nathaniel Hackett from Green Bay. Now, the thing is with with uh, guys like that, he doesn't call the play. That's kind of like Eric Bieniemy has had trouble getting a job because, you know, people tie him into Andy Reid. How, how much of the plays does he really call? The thing with Nathaniel Hackett is he has called plays before for Jacksonville and Buffalo, and he got Blake Bortles within very close range of the Super Bowl. Speaking of almost uh, beating T Doug Peterson, beat Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. Nathaniel Hackett almost beat Tom Brady in the AFC title game with Blake Bortles. They had a great defense that year too. Don't get me wrong, but Nathaniel Hackett does have play calling experience. Aaron Rodgers speaks very highly of him, uh, but it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think there are a lot of good, good candidates out there. He would be one or he Morris would be another Doug Peterson. Um, Doug Peterson's kind of the name that comes to top of mind just because he's done it so far. And Super Bowl championship is a, is a tough thing to, to look away from. No, it, it is. Um, and I, I do question, you know, the fact that he, I know that the Laureas are, are kind of, it's a little bit of a dysfunctional organization there at the top, but the fact that he was run out so quickly after a Super Bowl win does make me wonder what really was the deal there and raises some questions. I, I you think need to the, get the, you need to get the, the, the story uh, yes. from, from his side of the story and maybe from another side of the story, but a lot of the stuff that's come out is Howie Roseman's story, the GM and, and Loria, you know, reporting to guys, you know, like, like Schefter who reported, you know, on stuff that came out after, you know, so it's always important to know well, where is this journalist getting his information from? What side yes, of the story no is being told? Doug Peterson hasn't really had a chance to tell his side of the story. I'm sure if the Vikings interview him, they will insist that he does. Yeah, no, I, I think no doubt. Um, I, I think the most important thing beyond I, – I, I slightly prefer an offensive coordinator just after the years of Mike Zimmer um, – or as, as the next head coach, I think what I care more about is culture and frankly, as part of that youth, I just think that the Vikings need some fresh energy and a fresh approach that can still look at the talent that they have and, and get creative with a new scheme a, um, a, and a new energy to maximize the window they have here. And, uh, you know, the, the last thing I would say about the sort of Zimmer-Spielman dynamics is it'll be very interesting to find out how many of these young guys that they have, these you know, some of which were draft busts and some of which have been riding the bench. Like, what is the deal with Wyatt Davis? Because Justin Jefferson didn't play for a few games under Zimmer. And then all of a sudden was, is Justin Jefferson. Uh, KJ Osborne didn't really get involved in the game plan at all last year, looked like a bust and then broke out this year. Smith Marset towards the end seemed to do pretty well. So there, there have been these, you know, Darisaw was injured, you know, and then, you know, those seems to be looking good. So there are some of these young guys that I wonder is Zimmer's old school approach of not playing young guys. Did that 
did that come in? Was that a cultural thing? And there is more talent on the bench, literally there, that a new coach can get creative and maximize than Zimmer was allowing to occur. Well, yeah. All I'd say about that is um, different guys develop along different timelines. And especially last year in the pandemic season, uh, the pandemic's still going, but I mean, the pandemic season, as far as no off season activities, it was tougher for rookies to acclimate. And yeah, it took Jefferson a couple games, but I think in game three is when he broke out. It wasn't like it was half the season or anything. Dig, look back to Diggs in 2015. He wasn't playing a lot early. Broke out in that game against Denver. Uh, put a great move on Aqib Tlaib. And his career was off and running as the Vikings almost came back and won that game in, in 15 with, with Teddy and Diggs. Uh, Daniil Hunter started on the bench, kind of was a rotational guy. So it, it takes some guys longer, and everybody wants them to step in right away. The Wyatt Davis thing is perplexing because the fact that he didn't get even an opportunity with how weak the right guard spot was. Yeah. Ole Udo did some good things at times in the run game, but led the NFL in penalties uh, for most of the year. And I think finished tops in, in penalties um, among any player, let alone offensive linemen. So the right guard spot was there for the taking and uh, Wyatt Davis could not even get an opportunity at any point. And when Udo went down, Wyatt Davis wasn't even the guy who came into the game. It was Blake Brandle, who they often used as an, ex, uh, as an extra offensive lineman. So, you know, that was, that was a little perplexing. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think the, the, the thing I'll say, though, about Zim is, yeah, I said it before, he left the organization in a much better spot than when he found it. And he was an elite X is an O's guy, and that did come through in the gasoline piece. Uh, he's one of the most well-respected defensive minds in NFL history. He invented the double A gap pressure looks and, and blitzes. I mean, he he's known for that. And he did make guys some guys a lot of money, especially on the defensive side of the ball. When you're looking at Xavier Rhodes and and Anthony Barr and Harrison Smith who was apparently in tears uh, reportedly after the news, because he was very, very close to Zimmer. Uh, He's made Eric Hendricks and Neil Hunter a lot of money. So he's done a lot of good things. I think connecting with the current generation of player was tough. I I think the disconnect with some of what Spielman did, especially since Kirk arrived, was tough. And he was surly at times. There's no question he, he was. Like, he, he's, he's crusty and surly at times, but uh, that's just the way he was and definitely an elite X's and O's guy, but you, you, you probably need a guy who can better connect with the, the current generation of, of player and, and Zim did a great job. They're in a better spot now, but uh, we need to find the person who's going to take them to the next level. I think the other the other thing in that new person and and to the point about Zimmer is it, it's always a struggle because a head coach is going to have their preferred identity, but you do you know and yes he's an elite defensive mind, but he started he started interfering with the offensive play calling now and I respect the fact that he wanted 
he had an identity and a goal of what he wanted to be. But my personal view has been for a long time that his offensive identity and what he wanted did not match with the players that we were getting in free agency, did not match with the players we were drafting in the draft, and did not match the modern NFL. And so as great as he was defensively, my view is that there was a total disconnect there from the identity he wanted and what the GM was doing and what the talent on the team was and where the NFL was going. And I think that it was intransigence, frankly, on that side of it and a desire to get more involved, which did come out in the gasoline piece to meddle in it, um, it, that hurt him. And, you know, I, I, and, and ultimately led to, um, you know, where we're at now. And, you know, but well, it's got to be honest. If everything is true, like it was reported, some of this has to fall on the Wilfs. You know, they, they allowed, I think they're generally good owners, but they allowed an atmosphere to occur where the GM and the coach were not on the same page, where there wasn't a decision being made uh, about the identity of this team offensively and where it was going. And I'm not saying the Wills should have to make that decision, but the chain of command and who's doing it and how you reconcile differences should have been addressed sooner. Because if, if Zimmer wasn't going to go that direction that Spielman wanted to go and you were going to let Spielman design the team that he wanted, then, then Zim should have been fired last year. I mean, it just because yeah, it was the, the, the only, yeah, the only thing I'll say, uh, this is why the GM hire is very important. Yeah. The Wilfs, the Wilfs don't live in Minnesota for they, they, they live in New Jersey. So they're not there on a daily basis. They may not have fully been aware of this, which is why it's important to have a very good leader as the GM. And I'm not taking anything away from what Rick Spielman did over 16 years with the Vikings organization. I mean, there's a reason there were reports that he was going to stick around. They, he's been with the Wilfs from basically the time the Wilfs got there. Like he was the guy who they entrusted to deal with the football operation. So the, yeah, it'll be important for the GM to deal with the football operation, but also to set the culture and, and, and keep tabs on everything in to some degree, along with, you know, the, the COO, Andrew Miller and, and other higher ups in the organization, but the Wilfs not being there, I think is a, is a good, you know, it's, it's nice to have absentee owners to a degree and not everyone's walking on eggshells all the time, but the, the, the negative, the drawback is, you know, they live in New Jersey. Yes. They come into Minnesota on game days and, and at other times throughout the year, but they're not there to see that culture firsthand on an everyday basis. People are reporting to them kind of what, what's, what's going on uh, for the most part. So, and, and I will say, I, I take your point about Zim and the offense to some degree, I will say though, but from what I heard this week, you know, Paul Allen reported that uh, uh, North Turner may have let his son, Scott Turner call plays during a regular season game. If that was the case, he was told not to do that. And Scott's now the OC, I believe in Washington and, and, you know, doing a good job, but that kind of stuff, there should be meddling in John Filippo the way he conducted the offense, especially, you know, in games like that New England game where Belichick's trying to let him run the ball and he just won't, there should be meddling in that, in that situation, not meddling direction from the head coach, because yes, he called the defensive plays, but ultimately he's the head coach and his vision needs to prevail. 
And, and that relationship was so bad that DiFilippo did not even last the season. They paid him money to leave the building before the end of the season. It was so bad that they didn't even want him around. So, so I take your point, you know, there, there was uh, some opinions that he got too involved in the offense, but that's why he, he wanted to hire guys like Norv Turner and Pat. Sh- I mean, Pat Shermer was the longest tenured Vikings offensive coordinator during Zim's tenure. And when he trusted the OC, like a Shermer, like a Stefanski, like a Norv at first, before things kind of get a little hairy there, uh, it, it was it was better. And, and and obviously, Shermer called the Minneapolis miracle. And you had Stefanski lead uh, the offense and the team to the playoffs in, in 2019, which was the most successful season team-wise since Kirk arrived. So I, I think you can almost look at the Vikings' success in their better years, they've had better offensive coordinators. And the problem is, yeah, Norv, Norv quit. And, and as I mentioned earlier, did so, did so not in the best way. But they've also had two offensive coordinators become head coaches, Pat Shermer and Kevin Stefanski. And then had Gary Kubiak retire and his son Clint take over this past season. But I think that is one attraction to possibly hiring an offensive-minded head coach is that you won't have this constant churn of offensive coordinators because the way the NFL is going right now, the offensive coordinators who do the best get hired as head coaches, even if they have very little experience. I mean, Kellen Moore is 33. He's been an offensive coordinator for like one or two years, and he's getting interviews all over the place, including with the Vikings. So uh, it's hiring an offensive-minded head coach would prevent that constant turnover. And Kirk Cousins has had a new offensive coordinator like almost every year of his entire career, even going back to Washington. No doubt. that There's no doubt that that, that turnover, you know, has hurt the team uh, in a number of ways. And that's just, everything you said. I mean, I'm not trying to put it all on Zimmer. My, my point is this was, a, this was a cultural issue that's clearly been going on much longer. Some of it's on Zim, his gruffness, his interfering in the offense. Some of it is on Spielman, you know, for, you know, and some of it's on the Wilfs where they didn't let, they didn't make it clear who has the decision-making power when philosophies are in conflict between, you know, Spielman and Zimmer, you know, and if they did, and it was Spielman, then Zimmer needed to respect that. And if it, if it, you know, was Zimmer, then Spielman needed to respect that. And that, that was unclear. And then you've heard, you know, we've had this conversation offline all the time. But I'm so sick and tired of hearing about Norv Turner's son and Mike Zimmer's son and Gary Kubiak's son and Andre Patterson's son. I mean, the idea that basically everyone was hiring their family members throughout the entire organization is so abominable in my mind in terms of creating conflict of interest. And and it clearly led to issues. The, The whole culture there um for a while now had run its course and needed a refresh uh or needed the wolves to intervene to say this is where we're drawing the line and how we stop it so i do think a refresh is needed i lean towards an offensive coordinator for exactly the reasons you said uh keep kirk uh especially in the short term uh to try and maximize the offensive talent you have hire a good defensive coordinator to rework that defense, you know, maybe a, you know, a Fangio or someone like that, who's well-respected 
um, and can can really scheme and maximize that talent um, and see if you can quickly hit the reset, get some energy, and move this thing, this ship in the right direction, fittingly for the Vikings. And one of the first things there, and I'm sure, how awesome would it be to be a fly on the wall? Because you know they're asking every GM candidate and maybe the head coaches as well. What do you want to do with Kirk Cousins? If you get this job, what do you want to do? That will be like the first big decision. Something's going to happen. I would highly doubt that they just let him play out this this one year of his deal with a $45 million cap hit. I would have to think either an extension to lower the cap hit or a trade, and that team extends him. Happens. Totally agree. And that's going to be the first. Maybe it won't be the first. There might be some other things to happen first, but that that might be the first key domino to fall and give us a very good idea of where they see this team in the near term and the long term. Because if they think they can have the talent to compete right away, and it seemed like Mark Wilf in his press conference after firing Spielman and Zimmer said that he wants to see them compete right away in 2022. He sees them doing that. The Vikings have, that's one good thing about being a Vikings fan is that they rarely tank. I mean, they, they are always compelling. They're always in the mix. And they have the talent to do that again. But do they think they can win a Super Bowl here with this type, with this group in the next few years? If not, they might try a teardown, but you can rebuild very quickly in the NFL. So do they see it as a rebuild? or do? And there's still a lot of talent here. This seems to be the most attractive job opening, GM and head coach, because of all that talent. So I wouldn't think they would want to tear the whole thing down, but it all starts with what they want to do at quarterback. Uh, there's no doubt. And I do want to, to your point, I know people talk about the rookie quarterback deal and that that matters and all that, but let, let's be very clear. The last Super Bowl, you know, what it, it's less about the rookie deal and it's more about how good that quarterback is, whether they're on a rookie deal or not. Uh, and and about- if they've re- and if they've taken maybe a little bit of discount to lower the cap hit as well, as you know they might not be on a rookie deal, but how much are they costing against the cap? And like you said, how good are they? If if they're, yeah. if they're Brady, if they're Mahomes, they can overcome a large cap hit even if it's massive. Well, and let's be—I mean, I, there's Patrick Mahomes going to be a Hall of Famer. There's uh, Tom Brady, obviously the best of all time. And yes, he, yes, he took a cap hit, but he also, you know, it wasn't his first big deal. And so that's, as we've talked about before, is Kirk going to take a, you know, reduce his salary now? And, you know, now that he's had the one big contract and I think he will, you know, yes, you, you get people lightning in a bottle, like a Joe Flacco or a Nick Foles, but otherwise you have people that like, you, the ones that get lightning in a bottle, they have to have historically good defenses. We're talking like Baltimore Ravens, historically good New York Giants beating the New England Patriots. And they still have Eli Manning, a borderline Hall of Fame quarterback who was still, you know, good. Like it's, it's this. And even like, look at the, even look at the Vikings in 2017 when they went to the NFC title game with Case Keenum, speaking of lightning in a bottle. Their defense was ranked number one in virtually every category across the board. They were an elite defense, and they were one of the best defenses of the past two decades in the National Football League, and they still didn't get there. So to your point, when they have a quarterback like a, a Case Keenum or you know, better 
example, like guys who have won it, like like Foles and 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 Flacco, those Eagles and Ravens defenses were dominant. Yes. And, you know, even Russell Wilson winning as a young quarterback, I mean, again, probably going to be a Hall of Famer, number one. And number two, they had the Legion of Boom. Like, it, 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 yeah. it's not just if you get a quarterback on a rookie deal and build a solid defense, you can win. I mean, that quarterback has still got to be a, you know, a top five usually, te- you know, and Joe Flacco that year, he earned his big deal. He played really well that year. You've got and in the playoffs uh, specifically, that playoff run was one of the best performances ever by a quarterback in one po- in a single postseason. Yeah, so the quarterback has to play like a top five quarterback for the season and in the playoffs, and you have to have a really good defense in order to make it work. Otherwise, you have to have a top five quarterback who can lead you there. And the question is, is which combo can work for the Vikings, and does that work with Kirk going forward? And it will be, you know. Interesting to see, you know, uh, there's a lot of work that needs to be done, but it starts by getting a GM and a uh, coach that are on the same page with the identity and the culture of the organization. And I think it starts up front, too. I mean, I think you you saw with Tampa Bay last year. Yeah, they had Brady. But look at the pressure they put on Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl. Look at their offensive line and their ability to run the ball as well. I mean, you use every team pretty much that wins the Super Bowl is very stout up front and it is cliche that, you know, it starts in the transfers, but you know, cliches, all cliches, or at least most have a kernel of truth. And that is more than a kernel of truth. That's uh, it is very true. And, and they need to get a little bit more physical up front, I think on both sides of the ball. I mean, the San Francisco 49ers almost won a Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo. Who's, you know, an average quarterback at best. Uh, overthrew Emmanuel Sanders on a play that probably would have sealed the Super Bowl for them. But how did they get there? They got there with a dominant offensive line and running game and the best fullback uh, in, in use check, one of the better tight ends in Kittle, you know, outstanding blockers. They have a great running scheme and they put a lot of pressure on the quarterback. So uh, that'll be things to watch as well. So that's I, to, I'll close on this and then um, have a question for you, but, I think what you just hit on is key. I think where the Vikings failed is, you know, regardless of the quarterback position, you need a quarterback who protects the ball and is playing well, but you need these teams when they win, where are the areas that they're strongest? It's usually quarterback and in the trenches on both sides. I mean, when the giants won, it was because they had unstoppable pressure up front when the 49ers, even though they didn't win, they went to the super bowl. They had unstoppable pressure up front. And like you said, had a great offensive line where, you know, they could control the ball. And we have just, we've had flashes of it on the defensive line, obviously throughout Zimmer's tenure, but we've, we've never had it on the offensive line. And as long as the offensive line remains average to slightly below average, um, especially on the the pass blocking, uh, you're just, you're not going to be able to win a Super Bowl. You're just, and you're not going to be able to get close to competing. So they've got to fix the trenches, and in particular the offensive line, regardless of what they do with Kirk. Um, if they don't fix those issues, they're not going to go anywhere. Which leads me to a question. You know, we talked a little bit about offline. We've got these, you know, four major sports teams that are all kind of going 
in different interesting directions. Uh, you know, the Vikings are at a reset. It uh, could be a great opportunity. The Twins have some young players. They're in kind of a reset mode. Can they get lightning in a bottle with some of these young players that you know a lot about uh, with some of the, the bigger veterans that they have, if we ever have baseball again, that is. The Wild are obviously looking really exciting. And the Timberwolves are looking really exciting and maybe have finally put it together. So my question to you is, if you had to put money on one of these teams to finally break our longstanding uh, championship drought going back to 1991, uh, which one do you think is the best chance of winning a championship uh, the soonest? Yeah, good question. Um, and this always seems to change like every year you do it because uh, sports is such a, a roller coaster. I, I have to say, I know the least, I'm the least knowledgeable about the wild out of the four teams by far, but I'd have to say right now, they're the answer. They have a superstar in Kirill Kaprizov. Uh, Dean Evason has done a great job. They've been up near the top of the league. They have the best record in the NHL for a while. They're still up near, near the top and having a, a really good season. And then you take into account the randomness of the NHL playoffs, probably along with Major League Baseball to some degree, but even more so, the most random and exhilarating and exciting of, of any of the playoffs. I, I mean, it's, it's so much different than the regular season. And there's, it's just really tough to predict. I mean, you see eight seeds beating one seeds. I'm not just talking about like some random four or five seed winning the Stanley Cup. You see eight seeds beating one seeds fairly frequently in the NHL playoffs. I mean, I think it was a couple of years ago where the Tampa Bay Lightning had the best record in the league and they got swept in the first round in like dominating fashion. I think it was Columbus that did it. Uh, so you see that happen all the time in the NHL. So you think the Wild are going to be in a pretty good playoff position to begin with. And then, you know, are they going to be the favorite? No, but they won't be down near the bottom in terms of the playoff team's odds either. So, you know, oftentimes the favorite doesn't win it in the NHL. So I think, yeah, you'd have to go with them because they have a nice young core of players. If you're looking at um, the Timberwolves, they do have a nice young core of players, but it's so tough to break through in the NBA. Even, I mean, look how long it took the Warriors, even with Curry and Thompson and Draymond and all all their talent. And then they brought Kevin Durant on board and won some more championships. Uh, you know, the, the, even the first year LeBron was on the heat, they went to the finals and lost to Dallas, but that was like a team that was, you know, put together super the first of these super teams. That's not going to happen with the wolves. You wouldn't think, but free agents are more likely to come here now. I think with Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony towns, and Andy Angelo Russell in the fold. Russell's had a fantastic season um, and has really started to play defense consistently for the first time. Chris Finch has done a great job getting him to buy in on the defensive end. Anthony Edwards is a total stud. He's 20, uh, I think. And, and Towns is probably having his best season, not statistically, but overall in terms of helping the team win. And they have a very good shot to get in to the playoffs near the, the bottom of the Western Conference, the East is kind of better on the bottom now than the West is, interestingly. So 
they, yeah, I mean, I think making the playoffs this year is definitely a good possibility, but in terms of going to a championship, that's just so hard to do. Can they get there? Maybe, but it's, it's so hard, especially in a market like Minnesota, they they don't have the warm weather to attract free agents, but they do have some talent to attract free agents. And maybe that'll help some veterans who are looking to win towards the latter stages of their careers come here. So say it's tougher for the wolves and the playoffs are not very random in the NBA. It's easy to kind of pick out four teams before the playoffs that kind of have a chance to win it all. And uh, if anyone outside of those four wins, it's, it's just a, a miracle almost. And then the Vikings, there is a little randomness to the NFL playoffs, but the quarterback matters so much. I do think Kurt can win it, but he needs some, he needs a lot of things to go right around him. And also the draft picks and free agent signings need to be better than they've been, as I mentioned earlier, since he arrived. So I think they, they've got some, some talent, but, but I think if Rogers is out of the NFC North as early as next year, and that's very possible, or certainly within the next two years, that division could be up for grabs. And at that point, you win the division, you get a home playoff game, you know, you could be in contention for a bye. Those upper seeds in the NFL playoffs normally do do better. And now there's only one bye, so it's a little tougher to get. But still, the upper seeds in the NFL playoffs do generally do better with Rodgers out of the division. Vikings have a good chance to grab hold of it. The Bears are kind of a mess, and the Lions, Dan Campbell's, you know, promising, and the players play hard for him, but they're still the Lions at the end of the day. So, uh, and that brings us to the twins. Unfortunately, yeah. I do, I do know a lot of the young guys who are going to be coming up, but I think I'm just worried about the pitching staff. You need to, they have a lot of young talent, no question. I mean, when you're talking about Jordan Belazovic, they're probably their top pitching prospect right now. Johan Duran's a really, really good prospect. They have a guy named Josh Winder who was a triple A last year, who I don't know. I didn't cover him, but he's supposedly the real deal and, and some others as well. Um, on the pitching side, but when you give up Jose Barrios, it's kind of hard to see. Yeah, they kept Buxton, but he's so injury prone, and it's just tough to see what the direction is of the Twins right now. Are they trying to to rebuild, reset, reload? Uh, who knows? Uh, and and the Chicago White Sox are just more well positioned to win that division. And then you're talking about a one game wild card. So I think it's just a longer process for the Twins. They're banking on their young pitching to produce, but they haven't proven that they're willing to go out and sign a pitcher and supplement that staff with a solid veteran. And so I think it might take longer for that pitching staff to, uh, to come together. So if I had to rank them, I would say, I would say wild Vikings wolves twins in terms of how soon they can win the championship. So I, I'm, uh, I agree with a lot of what you said. Uh, I'd switch the order just slightly. I, the bottom, I'd say the Twins. I agree with you, directionless, um, not expiring a lot of confidence right now, pitching wins in playoff games. And I just don't think, unless you like just get so lucky with all of your young talent being just unstoppable. I mean, like, I, I think back of they couldn't win when they had Johan Santana and Francisco Liriano pitching as the two best players, you know, in all of baseball. So like, I, I just don't think they're ever in an uncapped league have the resources and the willingness 
to spend the money on the free agent pitching to supplement the young guys. To, Liriano to got hurt. Oh, only thing I have to jump in. Liriano yeah. in 06 did get hurt. And did, right. if they both had been healthy in the postseason, could have been a different story. But they end up getting swept by the A's and, and we'll never really know. No, you're 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 right. He he did end up getting hurt. That, that's an important correction. But it's still it just it, it doesn't feel they give the least amount of confidence right now, and it, it just you don't feel like they're ever going to be able to make the moves uh, in the in free agency with pitching to get you that win that they need to build momentum in the playoffs. Um, the Vikings just feel cursed to me, so I, I always am, am going to say that uh, their their chances are not very good. Um, but I agree that at least we'll see with a new coach and GM. But the promise of a new coach and GM and hitting refresh, as we've you know talked about ad nauseum, it feels like you could come up with a direction that would give you a chance, and that they have enough pieces there that are clearly developed that you could see them getting lightning in a bottle and winning versus in the right atmosphere versus the Twins. Um, I, I, so I put them three. You made great points about the free agents not wanting to come to Minnesota, the need often for super teams in the NBA. But the one caveat I would add or, or sort of uh, to that is, number one, the model to me is Toronto. And again, they got a little bit of lightning in the bottle, and, and Kawhi Leonard was just unbelievable in those playoffs. But I think Anthony Edwards is good enough he could be that guy in the playoffs and has the supporting characters in Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell with some more veterans like Patrick Beverly and bringing some others that it could happen um, in the next year or two. And I think the other X factor is it, it could be a disaster. It could be great, but ownership makes a difference in the NBA in recruiting people. What can Mark Laurie and A-Rod do to get people to come here that might not otherwise consider coming here? Uh, it's Mark Cuban was able has had some success in Dallas because of his you know leadership ability and and Glenn Taylor was just not going to do that he seems like a more of a hands-off owner and so you combine that with the cold weather here and the lack of talent for a while you weren't going to get those pieces but that gives me confidence along with their young pieces and then finally I did do put the wild on top not only just because of right now but um, and like you, I don't know as much about hockey in the wild, but you've got a young stud in Kaprizov. Fiala's really good. You've got other young guys that seem to come up all the time, like Boldy. Um, and then you've got good goaltending. And it clearly everyone speaks very highly of Dean Evanson and, and, and Evanson and what he's been able to do. Um, so I just and, and you don't have the free agent issues, you know, both the history um, and the fact that it's a cold weather sport in a cold weather state with lots of fans and the, you know, XL energy, even though it's not as uh, young and hip as it used to be uh, when it was first created. I mean, that the energy in there is just outstanding um, when you fill it up and, um, you know, and the team's playing well. So I do think they're best positioned. Um, they don't have the heartbreaking history to um, the same that the Vikings do or the Twins do in the playoffs. So I, that's how I would rank them as wild T-Wolves. Can't believe I'm putting T-Wolves number two. Uh, <laughs> Vikings three, Twins four. Although arguing with the, if you wanted to go history, really the Vikings should be last um, just because 
it, it's Murphy's law, but you know, just everything that could go wrong will go wrong. Something will go wrong with the, uh, with the one year, yeah. one year. I'm the eternal optimist. One year it will go right. It will all click. And, uh, but and uh, you know, I, that's why I was just saying is that we said in our first podcast, you, the eternal optimist, me here to level set you on this <laughs> stuff. So true. To, I didn't true say to they're going to win, win the Super Bowl next year, but uh, yeah, the, 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 uh, other model I was going to mention, you mentioned Toronto as a model for the Wolves. Also Milwaukee. Yeah, Giannis Antetokounmpo yeah. was kind of the guy. And, and sure, like you had lockdown defender with Chris Middleton and and, and some other – Lopez was was huge there. Um, who else did they have? Holiday was huge. I mean, you had, you had some key guys. But Giannis Antetokounmpo carried the day. Um, and, and they won it. So, and Phoenix, and, and I mean, was, and Phoenix as well. I mean, yeah, Booker is a superstar. Chris Paul played, has played great here in the twilight of his career. But uh, both teams in it last year kind of give the Wolves hope and more of that team aspect, which the Wolves do seem very connected. And, and Chris Finch was maybe the best move that Gerson Rosas, aside from drafting Anthony Edwards, bringing Chris Finch in, uh seems like seems like that it's really paid off the other thing i would say about them is well twofold well the key i think in the nba yes super teams matter a lot but i think it is it's a sport with obviously only five guys you know on the court at one time but like one guy can get so hot and carry you if that guy if that guy is so talented you know, it can, that one person can overcome, you know, anyone. I mean, LeBron James, obviously the, you know, yeah, second best player maybe of all time, you know, third best, somewhere in there, um, you know, was able to beat that Golden State Warrior team just by getting hot himself. Kawhi Leonard, you know, we, we talked about, you, you know, Anthony Edwards is playing himself into being that role as long as you then have the right supporting characters around you. And it feels like it took many years but it feels like they're finally getting there Malik Beasley's getting into the right supporting role Patrick Beverly has been a godsend for this team and then like you said Chris Finch seems to be the right coach here but to me it's like you need the guy the guy that can carry you uh and the right supporting players you know even those Spurs teams yes you had obviously other superstars or or sort of you know players who were your number two players they were never the number one um in tony parker and ginobili with your number one in tim duncan but you know think of all you know that when they had brent berry and robert ori and those you know you need those folks around you beyond just having three superstars and so i think that you could have a guy that gets there and could carry you um get so hot in the playoffs that they win in anthony edwards and i think he's the one guy on the team that could do that, but they also seem to be building that supporting cast that could overcome the super teams that do exist out there. Yeah, and Irving, Kyrie Irving is huge with LeBron too in Cleveland to help them beat that Warriors team, hit that huge three in in uh, in Game Seven. And also, Carl uh, Anthony Towns, I mentioned earlier, he's having a spectacular season. Uh, Anthony Edwards yet yeah, does seem to be like it will be eventually his team but right now Towns is their most consistent player and Towns is shooting over 40% from three he's shooting over 80% from the line 
and I think over 50% from the floor. I mean, he's, he's having a really, really good year and even being a little bit more impactful defensively um, along with the whole team, the whole team has bought in more on the defensive side since Chris Finch has taken over. And, and we've seen that most notably from D'Angelo Russell, but you're right. Patrick Beverly has played a massive role in just transforming kind of the attitude uh, of the wolves. He, he's, he's a guy you hate if you're playing against him, but his teammates love him. And he's, he's got an edge to him that really has, has emanated to the rest of the team in a lot of ways. So they're, they're really fun to watch right now. And I, and I would just last to that point, I, I feel like basketball is a sport where that, that infectious energy and leadership can make a big difference in key moments a lot more than in other sports. I mean, we both played basketball, but like you get, you get someone who just gets you amped up and energy and shows that leadership and, you know, in key moments, I mean, it can build and it can really make a difference. And so to have someone who's been there, who knows what it's like to do that and how to overcome that, that's, that makes a bigger difference in basketball that can help you overcome and, and, you know, get, get hot and ride it to a championship versus one guy doing that in football or one guy doing that in baseball. Um, I don't know about it in hockey as much and whether the, you know, that can happen with such short shifts, um, you know, in face masks and all of that, but uh, it's going to be interesting to see if any of our predictions, uh, if any of them can do it, but um, we will have to check them again next year to see if we change yeah. our order. Uh, as you <laughs> said, uh, those things can change uh, really quickly uh, uh, from season. Maybe to the season. wild will have the cup and then we'll just there have to rank the other, the other three. So <laughs> Let's, from your lips uh, to God's ears. Yeah. And on, on, on that exciting note, uh, enjoy playoff football. And uh, we will keep tabs on the uh, Vikings GM and coaching search and have reaction whenever we have the news of presumably first of the GM and then the new head coach of the Minnesota Vikings. That's it for this week for Matt Gallivan. I'm Marshall Kellner. We will talk to you guys next time. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.